Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the Ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about anime scenes that always inspire. I don't know how many of you guys listening uh, do this, but, you know, sometimes there are just specific scenes in anime that really, really reaches you in a way that you don't expect, and you like to go back to it. You might actually go back to the full episode, or you might go to YouTube, and with some luck, some somebody clipped that particular scene that means a lot to you, and you go back to rewatch it so you can feel those feelings again. And today, that is the focus on specifically scenes that have really inspired us. It's like every time we watch it, we just feel really inspired. We feel motivated. We feel that sort of adrenaline that comes from positivity uh, that makes you feel like that there's a lot more you can do in life or there's a lot of great things waiting in the future. So in this case, uh, to this week's episode, we are going to start off with Agnes. We have time. We will be talking about three scenes instead of two, but we'll play by ear in this case. So Agnes, um, what are some anime scenes that you just have found really inspiring? Like even when you think back to it, even if you have rewatched it, you just it, it just really hits you in that inspirational way. Um, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's, Suffice to say that when we are very young and impressionable teenagers, a lot of us are really into sports anime. And when you sit down, you watch a sports anime, you think to yourself, oh my god, that looks really cool. I want to do that too. So without further ado, this is to say, and for the disclaimer and for the record, I was a big fan of Haikyuu when I was reading the manga. And of course, also the anime too when it came out. And at the time when I was in high school, I thought to myself, I want to do volleyball despite the fact that I am a short Asian that only does martial arts so my feet stay on the ground and not in the air. Um, so to say the least, I enrolled in my local school PE, tried out to do volleyball. It was a horrible decision because I could not spike, I could not do receives, I could not do anything. But over time, I still continued to love Haikyuu even though I quit doing volleyball and abandoned that dream and just watched the anime. Uh, the anime itself has a lot of inspirational scenes, but the one that stood out to me the most was in season three, I no, four, season four of Haikyuu, where Tanaka has a moment of realization that he is not special. And in that moment, Tanaka realizes that although he is nothing like his teammates at Kagiyama, he's nothing like Hinata, he's nothing like Ryu, um, uh, Nishinoya, he realizes that it's not so much of if he can be special to contribute to the team and stand out despite his like big bravado, but the fact that he just needs to take it one step at a time and continue to make progress one step at a time instead of staying in one place and kind of mulling over the fact that he's not special and doesn't deserve to be on a team. And every time I rewatch that scene, my chest kind of just tightens a little bit because it reminds us it reminds me and also inspires me that every single day you need to at least take one step forward it could be you know getting out of bed taking a shower going to work or even completing like the tiniest small task in the day to feel like you've really accomplished something big and for Tanaka for although he's on a very 
a famous team, the Karasuno team, that has a lot of these superstar players, Tanaka feels a lot more grounded and a lot more realistic to the normal person who is watching volleyball and also watching him play and realize like, you know, he's human too. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have our tribulations, but the most that we can do each day to be like a better person, to be a better player, or just to improve ourselves is to always take like that one step. And so that scene has always resonated in me after seeing season four of Haikyuu. I have to be honest with you, I got a little worried because I also picked a scene from Haikyuu, but I'm so glad to hear that we have different <laughs> scenes. <laughs> I, I just really like Tanaka's scenes because it's so realistic. And I thought to myself, like, this is what I kind of wanted to see from a sports anime too, because we get a big slew of sports anime that have a lot of superpowers. Like we talk about Kuroko no Basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talk about like Diana Ace very briefly and a lot of other sports anime like Free where all the characters have like, you know, a special subset that they all compete in, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not always the case because in a lot of sports anime, it's about teamwork. And in teamwork, what you need is that teamwork, that cohesion. And Tanaka contributes a lot to that cohesion as well with this very positive attitude. I also really like that scene, and I think it's also very important because, and Haikyuu, by the way, is very, very excellent at doing, like, at creating characters like this, but I do sincerely believe that every single individual in this world has a talent, and it's unique to the person, but sometimes they're not as tangible and easily seen as certain things. For example, obviously, Hinata's speed and flexibility is very physically tangible. You see it with your own eyes. You experience that shock and then obviously with Kageyama's pinpoint a pinpoint um the setting and stuff like that there's a lot of stuff that you know these other characters uh embody in regards to talents that uh you're used to seeing in other people and you can't help but compare but you know I think people forget that Tanaka has a talent in mental strength and emotional yes. uh and emotional strength as well he doesn't get brought down easily he's always there to keep his head up for his teammates and look out for them you know and yes he has his funny like aggressive moments you know like when he thought uh one of the uh, uh Tora when he thought Tora from the Nekoma team was bullying uh was bullying Hinata even though he wasn't he was like oh what are you doing with my first year you know sort of thing like he seems really silly and kind of like high school stupid boy but the reality is this guy is very emotionally smart and very emotionally strong and mentally strong but you don't really witness that physically and tangibly as easily so it's easy to feel like your talent gets you know, sort of brushed aside and put under the bed and stuff like that. But Haikyuu makes it really clear that it doesn't matter, you know, how tangible your talent is and how intangible your talent is. If you manage to really, really hone in on it and uh, use it, utilize it to the best degree, you are capable of anything you want. And in which Tanaka's case is he is. He was able to get that nice, nice, uh, what was it, cut cut shot where uh, it was like a book to book oh, like that yeah that move. um not his straights but oh gosh I forgot it but it's the one where you hit to the side instead like he managed to pull that off and it didn't matter how many times he got blocked and he felt terrible like he did not let that emotion take control of him because he knew that that like if he lets it take control of him he's going to start screwing up more and stuff like that and so that's really incredible and I think it's a great reminder for people that you know no matter like you all have talents and it's harbored in there somewhere and you know maybe other people won't notice 
notice it, but trust me, like eventually other people will notice it. And he really shows that as well. So, uh, and I remember you really connecting to that scene before when like season four first like came out. Did you, I guess, did you feel like a sort of personal connection with Tanaka? I did. I I kind of also felt a bit of a personal connection because I also operate in the same way too uh i had a brief moment when i was in college where i hit like a a pretty bad depression i'm I'm okay talking about it. it's not that big of a deal anymore but there was a moment where i remember i was lying in bed i was living with my grandparents at the time because they lived close to my college i was lying in bed and i stared up at the ceiling it's like 10 a.m but the way that their house is designed is like it's really dark so mm. it feels even darker and i remember lying there in bed and thinking to myself I don't want to get up today. Wow. And mm-hmm. I've felt that for that period of time that I had depression, I never got like accurately diagnosed, but in the back of my head, I knew like, okay, this is a problem. This is a problem because I would like slog my way to class. I would uh, actually skip classes with the intention of, oh, I'm not going to do well today. And then after seeing the Haikyuu like season four, I thought to myself, like, okay, I am never going back there. First of all, if I ever go back there, I just need to think of Tanaka and think, like, I need to take, like, one step forward, just get out of bed, take a shower, do something else. It doesn't even have to be work. It doesn't have to be school. But just do one small thing, and then you'll feel instantly better about yourself. So that's kind of, like, a mantra pushing myself to go into as I do, like, work, and I have to balance out school and stuff like that, too. Wow. Yeah, no, that is really important. And, you know, thank you for sharing that with us as well. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Yeah. And I think that resonates a lot in uh, young people these days, too, because we have like crippling burdens of society, you know, school loans, work and things like that. And sometimes the world can be pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, yeah, so I definitely, I'm first of all relieved that you didn't poach mine, <laughs> but also I, once you picked it, I realized it immediately clicked in my head because I was like, I remember that Agnes really connected yes, to that moment. Yes, this is so. the first time I've talked about it to people. <laughs> uh, so if that is your first pick, uh, what is another scene that, you know, you felt that sort of inspiration happening when you think about it and, you know, if you have rewatched the scenes before? <laughs> Um, so my second one is actually, you, at first glance, it's not inspirational. You think to yourself, like, this is kind of a mundane scene, but I'll explain a little bit about it. Okay. So my favorite scene would be from the final season of Castlevania. It's not an anime, but we featured it on our anime trending polls yeah. mm-hmm. with Netflix. And in Castlevania season four, there's a scene where Trevor Belmont and Cypher Bernaldez sits down in a room and Trevor says like, oh, I just want to be alone for five minutes and get away from people and he and Saifa have a talk about what is going on with their current lives the state of the world and how they're going to combat this menace of Carmilla's army and all these vampires that are coming into uh, Wallachia and eventually he says like we need to stop acting we need to stop reacting and start acting and the moment I saw that scene, my mind just kind of like blew apart because the way that we work as humans, we work like animals, right? We react to things, we react to external stimuli, we react to things that are happening in our life. Like let's say, for instance, like currently my fridge is broken, it's leaking water, <laughs> so I reacted and panicked and had to call the maintenance guy so that he could fix stuff for me, right? Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, what I should have been doing instead of 
acting is something called proacting, which I've learned throughout working at work. And then after seeing this Castlevania video, that you need to take steps into preventing an accident before it can happen. Because when you react, you tend to kind of become flustered, you tend to not think straight, and you tend to neglect a lot of things that are important for your health, your mental health, etc. Similarly to what Castlevania showed us where Saifa observes that the people are reacting to the situation, you know, they're trying to scavenge as much food, they're trying to build like homes and try to build like latrines and stuff like that to kind of keep themselves alive, but they're not doing what they need to do in order to protect themselves and ensure a better future with multiple steps in mind. And so what I should have done in the, the example of proacting is that we should have not crammed too many things in the freezer because when that happens, water leaks down from the freezer into your fridge and starts leaking. <laughs> oh, so that's kind of like the, oh, the funny anecdote I wanted to tie into it. In the freezer. <laughs> yeah, that's why there's too many things in the freezer. And it's very, um, it's a very eye opening thing, too, especially when you take it that that same line that Trevor Belmont says and you put it into the context of, let's say, studying, right? You don't react and study last-minute panic, which I've done, arguably, does unfortunately. Yep. It does not work, right? You know, Isabel, that does not work, especially in STEM. You are cramming for 12 hours straight in, you know, some room in the library and then you go take your test. You're just like, oh my God, I just hope I can pass with a C. Yeah. <laughs> but, but instead, what you should have been doing is proactively studying, like study small chunks each day, you know, just so that you remember and you repeat the information and then the same thing goes for work too when you see that there's a problem at work whatever there it is in the streamline of what you do i work in a commercial laboratory and so we have a lot of procedures and measures that we take in order for accidents and spillages to not happen or at least minimize the amount of spillages and accidents that we have in the lab so trevor's line of we have to stop reacting and start acting has has like really blown my mind and has really changed my perspective of how i see like the working world and how i try to organize myself a little bit better too yeah no i remember that line of dialogue i mean castlevania has some incredibly a profound dialogue. Isaac, I think, has some of the best lines. Yes. Like, oh, God. I, anything from Isaac, like any part of his arc is wonderful to watch. It's like, and also the voice actor does such a good job, but there is one line where he was like, I am ready to live. Like, oh, that like got me so badly because I think it was just so well done and it fits into his arc perfectly. But also something so simple can really be so profound. You know, I want to live. I'm ready to live. And so... Uh, and so I remember that dialogue, actually. And it's funny because I actually don't even really remember how it led up to it, unfortunately. But, you know, when the moment you said is like, we need to stop, like, you know, we need to stop reacting, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, like, I do remember this and how it was a big deal because it is so true to life as well. So I'm not surprised at all that that line had a profound impact on you. And I feel like it also fits you perfectly with, you know, the type of lines <laughs> that you they model too. So. I mean, it's the thing is, it's like, it does fit my personality as well, but it makes me think a lot about work too. Like mm. I said before, like how it has to like be completely streamlined because we do face a lot of issues that happen at work. Let's say like a machine breaks, like what are things we can do to prevent the machine from breaking in the first place? Like be a little bit more gentle, you know, make sure you clean it better. Or, you know, trying to figure out like any moment from the the time that the specimen is received to the lab to all the way in the paperwork, how are we going to fix kinks that are that appear in between? 
you know. Yeah. Um, in, in the vaguest sense that I can apply without going into NDA type of material. <laughs> right, right, right. Please don't break your NDA. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. Uh, yeah, so do you have a third scene you would like to talk about? We certainly have the time to do so. I do because I'm shameless. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, okay. My, my third favorite scene would be from, that's a very inspirational scene that I will continue to love this character to death is the One Piece scene where uh, Luffy, it's pre-time skip. So Luffy is confronted by a very, um, a very prominent and a very powerful enemy that is known as Kuma. Kuma is like a half robot, half like humanoid thing. And he has like a very high rank as, I believe at the time he used to be a warlord which is a very high rank that is in One Piece. And Luffy actually gets so bodied that he is the last inch of his life. Like, he's actually dying. Like, I remember fans were, like, really scared when that scene happened because Luffy was about to die. I mean, Luffy has almost died in multiple arcs before against big enemies, but here he was, like, sincerely about to die. And right before Kuma is able to, like, sap his life force from him and, like, destroy him entirely... Uh, Luffy's first mate Zoro steps up to the plate and he tells Kuma to back off and that he cannot kill Luffy because Luffy needs to be, you know, pirate king, right? You know, he has to continue the story. And Zoro's like, you cannot lay a hand on him. And so Kuma turns to him and he says, like, would you take it for him? And Zoro, without question, says like he would. And he endures through Kuma's like life sapping sort of like damage ability that Kuma just cast on him, like a very small pinnacle amount that he said that I would have injected like a like a tenth of this into Luffy. And the animation has Zoro doubling over, bleeding, his body going into shock, oh and God. his body like viscerally reacting. He almost looks like he has a seizure at that point. Um and then at one point, you know. Kuma stops and he says, like, that's just a very small fraction of my power. Are you willing to shoulder the rest of the burden for him? And Zoro says, like, yes, without question. And so uh, several minutes later into the episode, you don't actually see anything else that happens. You know, it's kind of like implied. Another crewmate eventually finds Zoro and Luffy. And that crewmate goes like, oh, my God, is everything okay?" And you can see that Zoro is still standing there proudly and he is bleeding. His eyes are bloodshot. His body is probably going to collapse on him, maybe like organ failure or something. And he says nothing is wrong. And all in the while, Luffy is still alive. He's unconscious, but he does not remember the entire encounter. He doesn't know that his first mate is so loyal to him and stood up for him that he remains incredibly blissful up until this point, even in the anime as well. And so I think that scene has really resonated in me of how much loyalty can actually carry a person, especially through like friendship or like a family bond that they have with somebody. And really test the limits and really surpass the limits, I guess, of how far loyalty can really go. So, you know, I haven't seen One Piece, but even I hearing know. you describe it, I feel like this is the type of scene that I would, like, be crying <laughs> Yeah, you would. <laughs> you know, One Piece has lots of scenes that you can cry to. This is just one of them. Uh, so this is a fairly new scene that you saw as well, correct? No, the scene in One Piece actually happens in the middle arc, so it's pre-time skip. Right now, we are post-time skip. Oh, way past okay, time, okay, time got skip. it. Yeah, at least in the anime. The manga is even further than that. But yeah, this happens pre-time skip in a very pinnacle part of One Piece, right before the time skip happens, because there's a lot of very important events that happen then. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so that adjusts the timeline. Also, a little cute tidbit, because it just reminds me of it, is um, apparently since the One Piece manga is ending now, so everyone knows that. He's made it very clear. It's in the last arc. He uh, Apparently, the anime production team, uh, he offered them to like tell them the ending so they know what's going to happen and be prepared, but they turned him down <laughs> because they would rather <laughs> learn about it while with everyone. So I thought that was really cute and funny. <laughs> I actually almost picked the One Piece fandom to talk about in our last uh, anime fandom callouts because everyone is extraordinarily positive. Like, people don't bash. You know, people have their favorite in anime characters, and oftentimes we'll see people bash on other anime and other anime characters, but very rarely do you see that in One Piece. Like, every character is significantly pivotal, pivotal to the story, and therefore no one is left spared. And everyone like collectively feels that and understands it and then wants to continue to see what Oda has in store instead of like figure out and try to do like leaks and stuff too. Mm -hmm. I would say One Piece fandom's only weakness is that they will bother anyone who hasn't seen One Piece (laughs) and continue to Exhibit A, me. (laughs) No, I'm not even talking about I did this to you yesterday. (laughs) It's not even just you. Actually, it's one of my uh, close friends at work. He is a huge One Piece fan and Every few months, he's like, Gracie, you know what you should watch? I'm like, no, no means no. (laughs) Why won't you take my consent in this matter? You know, obviously we're joking, but I'm like, all you One Piece fans, this is your one flaw right here. You know, I do admit that it is a flaw. It's the same flaw that I have when I tell people like, oh my gosh, you should go read Golden Kamui. But at the same time, I think there is a good credence as to why they say it, unlike a lot of other anime fandoms that would say like oh you should watch this anime because there's hype one piece has hype for like story and character reasons so i think that's why maybe your coworker and also myself too want to extend that to you because we realize that you do appreciate a good story i'll bet the one piece timeline is very long there's a lot of chapters that's what i told him to and he won't take my no <laughs> you know that's why you have to do it gradually you know i've never been okay so i will also preface this too like i've said in multiple episodes before where i featured one piece i didn't start out as a one piece fan i was always a bleach fan (laughs) and but i've watched like several segments of one piece throughout my life up to the point where i got to wano and i thought to myself like oh man i think i am a one piece fan over the fact that, one, I know all the openings by heart at this point, and two, I just bought some One Piece merchandise the last time I went to Anime Expo. Mm, that's hmm. it. This is a bit merch. of a problem. It's the merch. <laughs> yeah, the merch. <laughs> when you buy merch, you're done for. <laughs> like, I didn't buy Bleach merch, and I thought I was a Bleach fan. I just drew, like, Zanpak as art as fan art on the side, but now nah, it was One Piece all along. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Well, also, I do mean that in jest as well, because obviously, you know, keep bothering people to watch an anime is still better than the other fandoms we talked about. So, (laughs) right, right, right. Exactly. Um, Alrighty then. Well, I think that sums up the three of yours. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to mine now. So like I had already hinted, you know, I did pick one from Haikyuu in the, but, you know, I picked a different scene. I don't think you this will come as a surprise considering this is probably one of the most iconic scenes of Haikyuu of all seasons but it is when Tsukishima blocks Ushiwaka's spike and so that scene got, is very very inspirational for me and a personal reason and first of all I'm nothing like Tsuki as you guys can probably already tell quite obviously I'm very extroverted and I am very much pursuing my passion and take it very seriously like I'm the type of person that Suki would 
sort of question as to why I'm putting so much effort into things and stuff like that. But the reason why that scene really gets me is also is to do with the fact of my upbringing. My parents, who I do love to death, and they love me a lot. We have a really close and good relationship. But it doesn't change the fact that they are a lot more practical than me. And so it didn't matter that if I had a passion that is related to writing. It didn't matter if I even, say, have a talent for writing, per se. They don't think it's worth pursuing because of the fact that, you know, logistically speaking, it's much harder to make money off of writing to find that stable future off of writing. And so uh, and so my entire life, I get told that, you know, like my parents are like, you know, you should stop spending as much time writing. You should focus more on science stuff, STEM stuff, stuff that will make you more money, give you that financial sound, that financial backing that you really want in life. And, you know, and I don't resent them for it. In all honesty, I'm like, I remember kind of resenting them as like a teenager, but as a working adult now, I don't because I completely understand where they're coming from and why they were so worried about me for it. But and when Tsuki, you know, felt that, you know, passion and the fact that it is worth fighting for something that you enjoy as a hobby, something that, you know, you can just put your time and energy to it for me, it was an uplifting moment and it was inspiring because if because it the way that Suki's mindset is is basically the mindset of my parents and so if he was able to fight back against that and come to realize that there is something worth in putting in in so much of your love and emotions for then I knew that my parents would eventually turn around and see it. And you know what? They actually do. My mom, funnily enough, regrets like not pushing me to like major in English or do something else in college. Like anytime she reads one of my things, she will like talk to my dad and be like, maybe we made a mistake. Like maybe instead of like, you know, telling her about like, you know, what's practical in life, we should have actually pushed her even further in the direction that she wanted and stuff like that. And it it really is just a wonderful feeling knowing that your parents do understand you. It was just out of love and concern that, you know, they thought you could do more or stuff that, you know, variables you need to look out for that you might not really understand as a kid per se. And so, um, and of course, there's also the fact that that was the pinnacle moment for Tsuki's, uh, for Suki's character development. He spent so long pushing back on the idea of falling in love with a hobby and then realizing that it is so worth it. And, you know, and it feels great. It feels so absolutely effing great. It was just really emotional. And I remember the first time like being in shock about it and like, you know, just screaming alongside the crowd. But then I rewatched it. My, my second time rewatching it, I ended up crying because of that, because I felt every emotion in that scene. And I also deeply understood like, you know, that sort of mindset, even though I don't, I'm not similar to him personality. And I would say not even similar to him in the way I think things. And so but regardless, I just find it endlessly, uh, endlessly inspirational. And it's always great to see it when someone works through something that's really that they've really struggled with. It's always a triumphant moment for that. And I love moments like that. So that is my first scene that I found really inspiring. And, you know, Agnes, I guess, like, how did you feel about that scene? Since I know you watch Haikyuu. So <laughs> I did it click with that scene as much because (laughs) unfortunately only because I'm the type of person that can set aside my hobbies and my professional life very easily and I don't like mix the two 
So that's why it didn't resonate. It resonates in me when you tell me like your side of the story and how it's very difficult to push for something that you love and have hobbies and that's something that you want to enjoy as well. I have hobbies that I enjoy, but not to the point that I need to push for it. Maybe it's also because I grew up in a fairly um, tolerant household that told me to be both practical on the Asian side, but also be like, you know, it's okay to have hobbies. You just need to learn to balance it out and figure out what you want to do in life so that you are comfortable enough uh like financially and stability wise in order to continue to do the things that you love so that's why i had a bit of a disconnect with that scene i understood it but i didn't really connect it as well as you did because we have very different circumstances but i definitely respect it and thank god because suki became such a an awesome person by the end of the manga like really pursuing his dreams to be a volleyball player instead of just kind of like brushing it aside and continue to be kind of uh, a snide angsty little guy you know what's funny is i do remember one of my favorite comments on like that scene is they're like before like you know before season three man Tiki's such an asshole is like after yeah. after yeah. season three actually he's our asshole <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Um, but yeah, what about you, Isabel? I I, I feel like you have watched Haikyuu, right? <laughs> I did. I watched up until that point, so I did see that scene. I just didn't see, I want to say season, whatever the last season was. Okay, that would be season four. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that scene was pretty cool. Actually, I didn't expect that to come out of Zuki, so to me, it was kind of a surprise overall. But I thought it was really cool because up until this point, you know, Tsuki, like you said, has been an asshole to the team and everyone else. And even towards volleyball that you're wondering, why is he even here, right? Um, But him, I feel like he's also influenced by everyone else on the team, you know, uh, trying to learn how to play volleyball himself. And then it like kind of it's kind of his climax. I really think that, you know, that was his arc and becoming a really uh, great volleyball player. And then also the fact that his team was also just hyping him up just as you know i agree you were as an audience yeah. right just kind of like also bawling like oh my god you did it right mm-hmm. so. yeah it really helps to have people that support your passion along with you so you don't feel like it's a complete waste of your time mm-hmm. and so suki having that kind of like positive reinforcement from the karasuno group is really nice to watch for sure yeah so that's my first scene i find really inspiring my second scene that i find inspiring and i've actually mentioned this before but this is like in one of our earliest earliest girl episodes so i haven't mentioned it in a while it's hinata's scene in march comes in like a lion season two where she stood up for her friend and that was getting bullied or she stood up for a classmate that was getting bullied and then the classmate ended up getting you know just wasn't able to handle the handle the bullying so she left the school and Hinata knows that she's the next target she knows it and you know and she's crying to Ray because she admits that it's scary and she knows she's going to go back to a classroom that is just going to do everything they can to torture her but while through tears she was like I know one thing though is that I don't regret what I did I did not do anything wrong no matter how they try to make me think I made the wrong choice to stand up for her like I would have never changed that like ever in my life and that scene was really 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 inspiring for me simply because of how brave she is i i can't like you know i i have spent majority of my life purposefully befriending the ostracized kids in class and i'm not saying that like because i'm a saint or anything like that i have i have like a very like you know acute childhood trauma that 
has is no one's fault. I, I'm, I need to like I need to put that right now. It is no one's fault. It is circumstances in this case. But I had an acute childhood trauma where uh, I realized like how scary it is to be completely alone, you know, and to not have anyone in your corner. So I so it kind of like affected me really big where throughout my life, I would purposefully befriend the ostracized kids in class who don't have any friends because I was like, I know you don't feel happy like this. So I'm going to be that friend for you. However, that being said, though, I don't really have the balls to straight up and be like, oh, you know, you know, uh, and straight up, you know, push back at the bullies and tell them how unreasonable they're being or basically tell them what a terrible person they are. I kind of use more sort of social maneuvering. You know, I build up my own reputation first in the class. And so by the time that I am befriending these ostracized kids, I know that if anyone tries to, you know, group me in with them and tries to say anything bad about me, I look terrible where they look terrible. Like it's not me who looks terrible. It's them because I've already built up a reputation. And I do that by being the nicest person ever and doing whatever people want me to do. Do you want like they're like, I have questions on homework. I'll help you. Um, can you help me, you know, with this particular physical activity? I'll do it. And it's like, um, can you talk? A physical activity that's shocking, yeah, yeah. Considering that you're not, you don't like this, yeah. No, and I, I'm like, I'll do it. And then they're like, um, you know, or it's like, oh, can you like help me find this book? I don't know the author, I'll do it. Or even something along the lines of, you know, I'm too scared to ask the teacher about this, can you do it for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And it was. You know, it obviously it feels good to be liked. That's without question. But at the same time, there was a purposeful, purposeful choice in that matter because of the fact that I know that if I'm so helpful to the point that everyone is just like, you know, Gracie is the nicest person in class. If I befriend this ostracized kid and the kids who um, and the main bullies who are trying, who are the ones who ostracize this kid start trying to say anything about me. I have a shield like they can't touch me at this point. And I know that for a fact because it's not just the entire class that is aware that I'm this type of person. It's the teachers as well who are like, Gracie is that one kid in class who helps everyone and is good and is nice to everyone. So I so it's like I don't have the courage to do what Hinata did, which is to um to not have that social backing, to not have that social shield ready ahead of time and to just be like, you know, you are wrong. You are terrible. Stop it right now and come to class knowing that she was next and holding her head high and not hesitating and not showing any sort of fear to them, not giving them any bait for them to use. Like, it's incredible. And I do find that very, very inspirational as a person because, you know, it takes courage to do the right things a lot of times. And, you know, that's something that we hear as a mantra repeated all the times. But I just find to be more and more true as I get older. So, yeah, that is my second scene. This ties in really well to my Castlevania mention of acting instead of reacting, right? Yeah. <laughs> How you were acting or at least being proactive by, you know, building up your reputation and kind of shielding yourself and the ostracized kid with basically kill him with kindness right <laughs> so yes. i think that was a, a very it's a very interesting take how it somehow meshes really well with this podcast so far <laughs> so. uh yeah but i mean i guess like i i know you guys like that scene a lot as well but i mean you know did that have an impact on you or is it really just me that it hit so much <laughs> I know. I mean, you told me about this scene ahead of time because you finished watching uh, March Comes in Like a Lion before me. So I knew the scene after you told me about it, but I still cried anyway because it's such a good scene. Um, 
I it's too bad that Hinata couldn't do the same thing like you did by being kind of like more proactive and using that um sort of like social status or reputation to save her and her friend because even with that unfortunately I feel like Japanese school teachers and the overall system in Japan it wouldn't really work out that way yeah, too Yeah, I agree. Because I agree. Yeah, because if we look at let's say in um uh, what's what's the? It's not your line, April. No, that's not the series. A silent voice, for instance, right? The silent voice is the, the reverse, mm-hmm. right? Where yeah. uh, although it is more in the perspective of the bully, even the bully himself can become bullied. Yes. So yeah. it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter what your perspective or not your perspective, but what your reputation is in class, but more so of the matter of how well can you navigate through like these social waters and still come out top at the end, which is very, unfortunately, very difficult in Japan, especially even if you have a good reputation in class. Like, you know, uh, Ishida was fairly well liked by his peers. Unfortunately, the deaf girl was not. But even then in his uh, um, elementary school years, he was still turned away. Mm-hmm. Even though he was like, I basically did all that you asked to bully her, and people were still shunning yes. him. Yes, and I agree. I know for a fact that it, my way of going about things definitely wouldn't have worked the same, panned out the same way as Japan. And honestly, and that's the thing is, I don't know if I would have been able to do what Hinata did if I grew up in an environment where I know it wouldn't work because I knew that this was going to work. So, uh, yeah. Right. But at least her confrontation and her big shouting of like, hey, what are you doing? I think really is truly motivational, especially in the Japanese culture where you can't build that social reputation and you almost have no one to turn to. It's very courageous of her. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's part of like kind of like the teacher's responsibility because I think eventually Uh after that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the substitute teacher came in and kind of like took in and did the right thing. So I really always want to put it on teachers as well to like, do the right thing like if they notice it you know it's hard to do definitely because even the teacher can get bullied by the kids and you know if the whole classroom is bullying you like what are you gonna do mm-hmm. so yeah and then parents come after you too and parents support oh, yeah. for schools is a big thing in japan unfortunately yeah uh, unlike in the u.s where like kids and parents are kind of like isolated cases because um, at that point they'll just call the cops on the, if the parents go ballistic on teachers but in japan uh, the parents have every word in that situation they basically become karen's yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So, yeah, that's my second scene. My third scene actually comes from a fairly recent anime, but it I think it just, like, I was just so happy with it is why, and that's why it feels very inspirational to me. So this probably is very, like, explicit. Like, it's unique to me versus the other two, which I do feel like has more of a wide-reaching audience of feeling inspired. But it's Akavi Sailor Uniform, there is that one episode where these girls went shopping for, you know, uh, for the school festival. And at one point, one of the girls lost her bookmark. And uh, but then she realized someone did find it and was very kind to like tie it to a bright red balloon and like tied it outside so she can see it. But when she unties it, like a big gust of wind blew and she didn't hold on properly in that moment. And the bookmark flew away. And in that moment, she gives up on trying to reach for it because of the fact that, you know, that bookmark also symbolized her dream of becoming a writer, but she didn't feel like she was as good as she was before. But then when the balloon gets caught in a tree and she was ready to just give it up, the Akabi and the rest of them, 
her Erica and the other friends, they literally lifted her up on their shoulders so she can grab it and reach it and find it again. And it's and it actually doesn't have to do with the fact that the character is a writer and thus I felt more connected to her. It's more of the fact of how the girls were so willing to like lift her up on her shoulders so she can recatch essentially her dream that was she was feeling slip between her fingers because I definitely feel that sort of camaraderie and that sort of motivation from my girlfriends from here honestly from girl taku and also from you know the girlfriends I have from college that are still like some of my best friends and it's like and it, it was very inspiring just to see it portrayed so well on anime you know and we get a lot of girl cute girls uh doing cute things anime but i think i just never felt like it really captured the quintessential element of girlhood in these anime a lot of times is that that sort of unconditional emotional support that i absolutely value above all else and i saw it in akabi sailor uniform and it really just made me remember my friends and like you know love my friends even more and you know inspire me and in, to always be as good of a friend as i can to them because that's what it means to be in a girl's friendship is to emotionally support each other this way to put each other on each to put one on each other's shoulders to help them when they're having a hard time and so that is um my third scene that i really really liked that spoke to me as like an inspirational scene <laughs> i mean it's it's credence to say that the director who directed akibisela uniform is female yes. so she has an, an incredible uh, insight of how to direct a TV series about girlhood friendships rather than just cute girls doing cute things where it's just a little bit shallow because it doesn't dive into that emotional aspect and for the most part these directors are probably male and just see it from like the the visual aspect of it rather than the you know lifting and the supporting uh the supporting means from all these like girl groups and friendships yes exactly and and you know correct me if i'm wrong but i think i remember when you were watching it agnes you said that it kind of made you uh it kind of made you understand sort of like what a girl's friendship was yes like. <laughs> <laughs> because we previously had a girl taku episode about girl um like sisterhood and like girlfriends friendship and i straight up said at the podcast like i don't know jack you know, I hung out with mostly guys in my life. Um, it's very, actually, very difficult for me to make friends with girls because most of the people that were around me that are female are also very catty. So I usually don't dive into that type of drama. But after hearing you talk about your girlfriends and then Isabel talking about her girlfriends and then seeing how there is anime that talks about girlfriends and the friendships that they have, like in a Kevy school uniform, does make me feel like, man, I kind of missed out in life. <laughs> like, you found us, though. <laughs> Yes, thank well, that's because we all work together, so that's the only thing, that's the only circumstance that comes out of it. Yeah, but I mean, okay, but we are still a girl group, though, you know, regardless if it is for work or not. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Uh, yeah, all right, so those are my three in this case, so now it is Isabel's turn. Isabel, um, what are three anime scenes that has really inspired you? And, you know, even when you think back, continues to inspire you. Yeah, one of the scenes I always rewatch is the pretty much the climax scene from Mob Psycho, the first season. Ah. Yeah, it's the scene where Mob basically gives Reagan his powers. And for a couple of minutes, Reagan is basically kind of like a superhuman esper. And he doesn't even realize it. I think that's the... It was 
a really great scene because up until that point, um, Reagan just, you know, stomps into the claw base, which is trying to basically just find Mob. That was his only goal, but he gets wrapped up in every in, you know, everyone fighting and the enemies think that he's the boss and Reagan's like, sure, whatever. And he's giving life lessons as he goes through all these, um, all the fights. And then when he sees Mob kind of like fighting, you know, as, as much as he can, but Mob is like struggling. And then, at, and then at that one point where, you know, Mob is basically about to crack and kind of like, he's, he's going to go ballistic and basically blow everything up. Reagan just tells him like, you know, it's okay to run away sometimes. And that kind of mob is just like, oh, okay. And then he just gives all his powers to Reagan, not even knowing it. So instead of blowing up, it becomes like 1000% like affection for his teacher, for him. Just, just those words just allowed him to, you know, come back to reality, have full faith in his, in his uh, teacher slash mentor uh, to take care of it, which he really did. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's just nice. It's just kind of like having... Is kind of like a message that, like, you know, you don't have to handle everything by yourself because I feel that a lot of people are very or try to be very independent, you know, like I can do it. And they're and they work really hard to, to get things um, by themselves. And and it's a lot harder if you don't ask for help. And sometimes sometimes it might be just be better to run away if it's like that hard and to just maybe take, take a step back and either rely on someone else to help you out ask for help or kind of, um, or find another way, right? Um, there's like different ways to go about doing things and you don't always have to, you know, keep on like hammering the wall to get through it or just working hard, you know, day and night to keep doing that. I think that's kind of the message between it, even though it was kind of like one of the most epic fights, I would say, in the end of the show. Um, but that scene, I always love watching because it's, up until like when I was watching it, I didn't know what the heck would happen. I'm like, okay, mob is gonna blow up, right? This is like the biggest scene. Like everyone, like it has to be like a really crazy scene, like stuff I see in My Hero, where like a a huge punch is thrown or something. But yeah, instead of that, throwing it all to somebody else, and mob is no longer in the spotlight for it, and having Reagan become the spotlight, I thought that was a great kind of like switch, and then also just showing that you know, other people can also finish up a fight or something. It doesn't always have to be the main character. I've never watched Mob, but, you know, you describing this made me realize why it reached so many people, you know? Yeah. Like, actually, yeah. you telling me about this scene makes me want to watch it now because I do think that's very inspirational for sure. <laughs> it's a very different turnaround, like you said, of, like, the big shonen where it's more emotionally driven and shows like Mob is surrounded by people who do care for him and that he doesn't have to do it alone. And especially for like young people of our generations, like I said earlier, like we have so many problems in society. We have so many problems that we have to deal with like in our real lives, at work, at school. And sometimes we just need that helping hand to, you know, kind of like bring us along. Otherwise, we would actually probably implode. <laughs> just going to say, yeah, basically, literally implode, like Agnes said, kind of on yourself by taking all these burdens. And yeah, like you said, I didn't think about this before, but Mob is definitely more emotionally driven than kind of like shonen story driven type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because the reason for Mob kind of like getting to his like meter of before blowing up is actually all emotionally based. It's based on how he feels and how much he's holding on the inside. So it's more like 
it's more of like an emotional meter than kind of like a psychometer or something. So, right, it's not to measure like his his aptitude and power, but like where he mm-hmm. is. It's like the the stit, you know, the the Stitch meme of where uh, Lil- uh, Lil- uh, Lilo starts to color in like this is yeah, hot right now. <laughs> and all I just see is red. Right, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's like it's that emotional bit that drives us into ballisticness. But the reality is, we just need someone to like help us out, and we just like. I think ironically, that also makes the opening sequence for the second season, like, or no, is it a third season? Third season, uh, for the third season, even more emotional. It's it's so strange, but it shows how effective animation is, even if you don't know the story. Because I saw the. Uh, I saw the uh, opening uh, scene or the opening theme song sequence during Anime Expo, and at the very end, you know, there's this amazing transition of, you know, the two of them as they are growing older, and and it was just, what well, I don't know anything about those two, but when I had watched that scene, I like felt the impact of it. I was like, holy crap, that was so good for someone who has no idea what the story is about. Where I mean, I do have an idea what the story is about, but like, you know, have no actual connection to the characters. To be invested in that moment was insane. And now hearing that scene and connecting it to that opening sequence is just even more incredible. No wonder why the the entire crowd went that crazy during that moment. And I understand it now. Like, it was incredible. So uh, I I do think I need to watch it now because of what you said. <laughs> Might as well start a mob psycho uh, movie party, movie night. That'd be really cool. That'd that would be, be really fun. fun. Yeah, definitely. Leading up to season three. Um, but yeah, let's move on to my second one. Okay. I only have two, so I couldn't think of a third one. I feel like I have a lot of scenes, but I'm also like, I kind of mix them up with emotional scenes, which we've already done. So. Mm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but my second scene is from Belle. Also. Oh, okay. I. Oh, the movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I actually really like that scene in the movie and I kind of rewatch it every time I listen to the song that's associated with it, which is a million miles away. And I don't know, I just really like those types of songs that kind of have this, I don't know, like a dreamy type of titles, I guess. And that, I feel like that's what the song is. If if you listen to the full song in length, it's actually a really long song. It's like seven to eight minutes. And it's because there's this like interlude of just um, instrumentals in the middle. And that's kind of making way for the movie itself. Um, it really ties into the movie. And um, in this, uh, in in that last scene, uh, where I forgot the main character in Belle. I only know Belle. Suzu, I think, right. right? Okay, all right. I only know because I edited the articles for oh, <laughs> Belle, so I just kind of remember them, not because I actually watched them. <laughs> but yes, uh, Suzu, basically, she she has been in this Belle character for so long in the virtual world. And then um, she, she throughout the whole movie, she has trouble singing, kind of like as herself. Of course, she f- sings like beautifully as Belle, which is why so many people are attracted to her. Um, but she has this, you know, virtual image, right, with the long pink hair and beautifully decorated dress. And but then when she in real life, she's not able to sing at all. And that's because of you know her mother's passing. Like she couldn't after her mother passed. She couldn't understand why and had a hard time coping with that. And so she technically lost her voice. And the only way that she can sing is for her to act as Belle in this virtual world. 
um, leading up to this point when she sings a million miles away, um, she actually lets the avatar go. So the whole world is watching and she is, uh, she basically, you basically see her as, you know, her normal self, her actual self as, um, in her, you know, high school uniform. And she's singing in front of like people watching around the world at this point. And I just thought it was a really great scene because it's like her in this one space surrounded by so many other people. It feels like she's like the only person there. And then, um, and the only reason why she's doing that is because she's trying to, she's trying to prove to the person that she's trying to save, um, which is the dragon, basically antagonist throughout the series. But then uh, they slowly realize that it's, it's basically a boy who needs help. And Suzu is just trying to call out to him by singing out. And I think that scene just really speaks out because it's kind of like trying to be your true self and then also coping with all these things that you've encountered, especially in that moment. I, I feel like Suzu was feeling so many different things, like one, trying to reach out to this person that she's never met, but she's trying to, you know, make things better. Um, and then two, just kind of like coming to terms with her mother's passing, like her mother basically sacrificed herself uh, for another child and she never understood why. But here Suzu is kind of like doing the same thing, like kind of like showing her identity to the whole world um, for saving a boy she barely knows and only met for like a few minutes. So yeah, I think that scene and then everyone else kind of like coming towards the end, at the end of the song, it becomes more upbeat and very happy um, because everyone's just kind of inspired by her singing and then they start singing along. So yeah, it kind of feels like High School Musical where everyone's singing at the end, but I, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i feel like did you i agnes i guess you hadn't seen bell but maybe gracie what did you think i did really scene? like that scene so i i did see bell and i actually had quite a bit of critiques for the story believe it or not but that scene was not one of the ones i had a critique for in fact it's actually the things that happened after that scene that i have a bit more critiquing of but in that moment where she is singing, I remember just being dead silent. My eyes were completely just nailed onto the screen and I had no thoughts because my entire brain was just focused on her. I was basically one of the audience members, you know, just focused on her as she sang. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a very effective and very powerful, uh, powerful moment. I actually love the song. I've re-listened to that song many times, all eight minutes of it. Because I did think it was very emotional and the lyrics were very, very good and beautiful. They, because uh, that was not only her moment of, not only her moment of like revealing herself and, uh, and, you know, trying to talk to this abused boy to trust her and that she can get them out of that bad situation. But on top of that, that was her goodbye song to her mom. Like finally coming to terms with the fact that her mom is gone now. She understands why her mom is gone now and she's no longer angry or resentful for her to her mom for leaving, which is an actual thing a lot of, you know, kids who lose parents at a young age deal with. You know, they feel resentful that their parents were gone, even though they logically know that it wasn't the parents' fault. There is a, emotionally a part of them that can't help but feel abandoned. And so, and she's been holding on to that for a very, very long time. And in that moment, she was 
not only just telling herself, but telling her mom that she understood like why those things happened and she doesn't feel that resentment anymore and let that go in the lyrics. And that was extremely powerful and very effective. And I mean, it's scary. I think it's really scary to do something like that. And, you know, especially online. Gosh, online is just a scary place. And uh, but I think it is showing sort of her courage and Am I able to do something like that? Probably not. Will I? Probably not. But uh, but I can see why it is so inspirational for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a scene. But oh, sorry, Agnes. No, no, no. I was just agreeing. It just just kind of going with the flow of the conversation. So go ahead. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I feel like that scene. Everything up until that scene was uh, great. I I do agree with you, Gracie. Some of the storylines could have done better um obviously but i think the music is definitely what carried it through and kind of um also just that world that they're in virtually like it can definitely connect to us um Mm -hmm. in a way that you know some people are okay with showing their face everywhere and some people are not okay obviously and even if you don't or do like there's definitely bully that bullying that goes online so um, it's definitely difficult um to show yourself in that way and be vulnerable so I just thought it's a great scene and I don't see it that much in, I, it, it probably does happen in real life. It's just really difficult to see that. Um, so having Belle portray that uh, was something that I didn't know that I needed to see really. Yeah. So I guess it's not so much inspirational, but maybe moving perhaps. In that I sense? think those two can be, can often interchange though, at least in my opinion. So. Okay. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it's inspirational in a way that it's kind of like you trying to be trying to prove that you're just mm-hmm. you. You don't always yeah. need this avatar or something. Ah, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Covering yourself up because that's what we like to do, right? We make characters in games, name them something that we want to be when we're actually not. This is why mm-hmm. I'm always an assassin when I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but it is always fun, though. Like, I always like to give my characters stupid names and dress them up super prettily. Like, you know, this is something I can't do, so it's really nice. Um, but also embracing who I am as a person as well is kind of cool. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can understand now why it was so moving for the two of you, but then I'm having a, a hard time because I'm sitting here and I feel like slightly disconnected because I have like a completely different view on that matter because wherever I go, it, does, it, has, it doesn't have to be this call, but it can be like with my friends or even in an online space. I already am like a version of myself, but like I don't even put an effort to like dress myself up or like create like a different persona or anything at all. So I think that's why I felt like a little bit disconnected. I was like, is it really that inspirational or is it more like motivational? So that's why I asked that earlier. So I will have to admit as well that, you know, this scene isn't as inspirational to me as it is to Isabel, which is to be expected in the same way that Tsuki's scene is more inspirational to me than you. It's um, it's more emotional for me because it's the moment that she lets go of her mom and comes to terms of her mom's death, which, you know, I'm a sucker for those. So. True. That That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> but alrighty then. So I think that sums up our uh, 
inspirational scenes episode talk and uh, thank you for sharing that, Isabel, by the way. Um, I, I should have rounded it off as our, as my usual way, but I jumped ahead. So, but yeah, I really appreciate all of us, uh, all of you guys sharing your inspirational scenes and of course getting to hear me talk about my inspirational scenes. Hope everyone listening enjoyed the topic as well. And we will be back next week with another fun topic on the hand. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.